0: Weirdest thing happened to me uh, on Friday. I have to tell this story because it's so interesting, to me at least. Um, Eric and I were sitting in here. I was waiting for, oh, that was Tuesday, for an eldest meeting. He was waiting for junior high. And I noticed there was something right in the floor here. And I went up to see it, and it was a penny. Who still has pennies? Anybody? There was a penny sitting right here. And I looked at it, and it was a little crusty. And I kind of wiped it off, and I looked, and it was from 1978. 1978, of July of 1978, was the first service that was held in this building. Oh, that was kind of weird, yeah, weird, right? Anyway, I kept it, so I have my, is that a lucky penny? Can you say that in the church? Anyway. So here we are, and we are looking at Easter eggs, uh, both literally and spiritually, and hopefully the spiritual ones will win out as we go through this series. We're looking at these traces of Jesus throughout the Old Testament, These little glimpses of the gospel before we really know the full weight of the gospel as it comes out. And this is another one we're looking at today. But I have a confession to make. I've made it before. I got into a little bit of trouble, but here it is again. I used to be a Canucks fan. I know, now it made sense. I lived in BC. And so, and my dad always said, you know, support the home team. And so we did our best to be loyal Canucks fans. It's not easy at times. And I remember one time uh, going to the old Coliseum. So this is in, in the 80s. And it was during the time of towel power. Some of you will remember that. And uh, we all got handed these white towels at the beginning of the game. I thought, we'd be giving up already? Or what's happening here? You know? And so we went to our seats. The stadium, the whole place was just, it was electric. We were so excited. Uh, Canucks were on a bit of a winning streak. Things were going well. And the game started with great gusto. But the problem was they were terrible that day. So terrible, in fact, that by the end of the game, the fans were booing and chucking those towels onto the ice. Maybe you've been at one of those games, kind of like that. As we approach this Holy Week, I kind of feel like that sometimes as I read through the story of between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. Palm Sunday, the crowd is so excited You can feel the energy, I mean the whole city's alive. People are there for Passover, they're doing the lamb selection on this particular Sunday. There's all sorts of things going on and people are crying out, Hosanna! And by the end of the week, what is the crowd crying? Crucify him! It feels like that to me sometimes, this this change, this switch. What happens? What happens in this week to cause that? That's what we're going to be exploring together, not only today, but uh, throughout the course of this week. Well, one of the Easter eggs we find about Jesus in the Old Testament is found in the passage in Zechariah. and Zechariah, the setting of it is the return of the exiles from Babylon. They've come back into Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is in a bit of a shambles. So they set about rebuilding the walls, and they rebuild the temple. Um, We're told, actually, in Ezra the book of Ezra, that Zechariah and Haggai, they were the motivators. They were the guys that said, hey, let's rebuild this temple. And so they rebuilt the temple. And the interesting thing is, once the temple was rebuilt, there was a great celebration, kind of like we had last Sunday, when we were able to come back in the sanctuary. But in this celebration, some people came and were cheering, and other people came and they were crying. They were crying because the new temple was not like the glory of the old temple. And so there was this mixed emotion going on in Zechariah's time. But that's what he was part of, part of the rebuilding of the temple. Zechariah was also a dreamer. I don't know if you go home today and decide to read the prophecy of Zechariah, you will be amazed at his dreams. I have some wild dreams. Ask my wife and my daughters. I tell them sometimes to them, but Zechariah, he had wild dreams. So chapters 1 through 8 are all about Zechariah's wild dreams. But then in chapter 9, he gives us a vision. And the vision is of a king. A king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this is great news. Because now the people, they've got their land back, right? They've got their temple back. And now they're ready to get their king back. It's like a country song played backwards, right? To get everything back. And they're excited. They're going to get everything back. Except... In chapters 10 and 11, Zechariah reveals that this king, who's actually a shepherd, is rejected by the people, full-on rejected, and instead they go after false shepherds, bad shepherds. And this is exactly what happens to Jesus. That's why Matthew picks it up in the text, and he says, this that we've been waiting for has been fully fulfilled in Jesus. And that's what we see in the text that was read for us. Now here's the thing. This is not the first time that someone has ridden into Jerusalem with this kind of expectation. Anybody hear of the Maccabees? Is that name familiar? If you came from maybe a, a Catholic background or, or an Orthodox background, or maybe read what we call the Apocryphal writings, we have 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Didn't make it into our canon of scripture, but they're interesting reading nonetheless. And 1st and 2nd Maccabees recall a group of rebel Jewish warriors who took control of Jerusalem. Jerusalem at the time was controlled by the Seleucid Empire. We won't get into all the details. It's not a history class today, but you can go look that up. But this group of rebel Jewish warriors took back Jerusalem and the temple. The problem was Antiochus IV, who was the ruler of the Seleucid Empire at the time, he had done something really nasty. He'd actually gone into the Jewish temple, and he sacrificed a pig in the temple, and he sacrificed it to Zeus. And then on top of that, he banned a whole bunch of Jewish customs, including a lot of their dietary laws. So he was not a popular guy within Judea, not a popular guy in Jerusalem. And it stirred up a number of zealous people who decided to take back Jerusalem. That's the Maccabees. So the Maccabees get into Jerusalem. They manage to take back Jerusalem and they go and they cleanse the temple and they force all the foreigners and foreign gods out of the temple. That happened in 164, 164 years before Christ. They rode in as victorious saviors and they were greeted with palm branches as they rode into the city and they went and they cleansed the temple that's exactly the pattern that matthew picks up in his gospel if we were to continue reading jesus comes into the city greeted john tells us with palm branches and then he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple so we have these two parallel events they might not be parallel events in our minds but for the crowd that was there at the time of jesus this would have been very much A parallel event because they celebrated this whole Maccabean rebellion and we still celebrate today in what Hanukkah that's what it's all about and so this group of people that would have watched Jesus come in all of the cues that Jesus set up for them would have reminded them of this great liberation including the cleansing of the temple imagine yourself there for a moment How would you feel, knowing all this? Knowing that you've been oppressed by the Romans for far too long, that once again, you're not free to practice the way you want. The land is no longer feels like yours. All of this is happening, and then you see someone coming, riding into the city, being greeted by palm branches. How would you feel? Is this it? Is this the time when, when Israel's going to be restored and the temple is going to be restored and everything is going to come back? Is this the time? You can imagine the excitement of the people as Jesus came into Jerusalem. The only problem is there's a big difference. Have you ever played that game, uh, you know, which one of these is not like the other? You know, you see two things and uh, two images and you're supposed to tell the differences you know, there might be 17 differences. If you're on Facebook, these annoying things come up all the time. You lose hours of your life to try and find the 17 differences. Then some smart guy comes on and says, actually there's 19, you know. So it's those kind of things, right, that you see and you're trying to find the differences. Well, we're gonna play a little bit of that game today. We're gonna try and find the differences between the way the Maccabees came into Jerusalem and the way Jesus came into Jerusalem. And I would suggest there's three. I know that Eric's going to find four, or some of you are going to find more, but I'm going to limit myself to three in this sermon. First of all, the Maccabees rode in on a horse after a battle, but Jesus rides in on what? A donkey for peace. It's not to be overlooked. It's very intentional. It is the direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah for sure. And it's not that uh, Jesus was showing his humility. I mean, kings rode donkeys too. We have a great uh, case of that in First Kings chapter one, where Solomon, who's uh, assigned to be king and recognized as king, is riding on a donkey. So kings rode donkeys, but they rode donkeys when they wanted to show that they were coming in peace. And I wonder. This is a uh, one of the commentators said this that the people were making the Maccabean mistake. When they saw Jesus rising in or coming in on this donkey, they made a bit of a mistake perhaps in anticipating something or expecting something uh, from the past. They saw a king, but they missed his mode of transportation. They wanted horsepower, not donkey power. I wonder if sometimes that's our expectation of Jesus too. Jesus, just come in with horsepower. Come in and set things straight. Set my son straight, he's stepping out of line. Set this country straight, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Come and step in and do your thing. But Jesus doesn't seem to wield power that way. He comes in riding on the donkey, on the miniature beast of burden, right? If you've watched Shrek at any time. This is Jesus, and so that's a major difference. And we need to capture that and, and notice that. So that's one difference. Second difference is this. The Maccabees cleansed the temple from the nations. Jesus cleansed the temple for the nations. That's a huge difference. We didn't read that part of the text, but as you read on, Jesus, what does he do? He goes into the temple. We know the story. He gets a little violent. He grates a whip and he turns over tables. It wasn't a problem for people to be setting up To exchange money you needed to have the proper temple currency and you need to buy an animal for the sacrifice that wasn't the problem what was the problem it was where they set up the market the market was set up in the court of the gentiles this place in the temple that was supposed to be where all nations could come and worship yahweh and they had taken that up so there was no room for others there was no room for the nations to come. And Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? For all nations. And he tosses them out of the temple. Major difference here, isn't it? The Maccabees, they wanted to restore it for themselves and for the glory of Israel. And they wanted to kick out everything that was foreign. And Jesus says, you need to make room at the table. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. I think Jesus made a lot of people uncomfortable for a lot of different reasons, but here was one of them. He was way more inclusive than most people were comfortable with him being. And this was one of the areas he wanted to make room for the Gentiles to come in, not to exclude them. And that's another fundamental lesson we learned from this. Okay, the third thing. The Maccabees used the sword to kill their enemies. But Jesus goes to the cross to forgive his enemies. Major difference, once again, not to be overlooked. You know, when the crowd shouted, Hosanna, which means save now, they didn't realize that the answer to that cry would come when the crowd shouted, crucify him. That was the answer. (laughs) That was how Jesus was going to save them, actually by dying on the cross. The weapon of choice for Jesus wasn't a sword. It was the cross and that's a major difference as well so in the midst of this huge religious festival this massive political rally where nationalistic pride was at its peak running high where people expected the savior jesus takes the time to remind his followers of this my kingdom is not of this earth it doesn't share the same goals it doesn't operate with the same values And it doesn't use the same weapons. It uses the power of a seed and not a sword. It builds a bigger table instead of a wall. And its weapon of choice is sacrificial love. And unless we get that, we're going to go down the wrong road as we try and exercise power in the culture around us as believers in Jesus Christ. We have to understand his kingdom. We have to understand how it operates. Because it's so different from how we naturally want to wield power in this world. When the followers of Jesus forget this, when we try and operate according to values of the kingdoms of the world around us, we do nasty things. And we have done so as the church in history. When we seize hold of power, we do awful and evil things. And so that's why on Palm Sunday, we need to come back to the values and the operating factors of the kingdom of god so in reality the crowd that cheered hosanna was not likely the same crowd that cried out crucify him it was probably a a different crowd the the first crowd was made up of uh, jesus his disciples the people from galilee that recognized him the second crowd might have been a much larger crowd stirred up by some agitators as they came in but the tone the change in tone reminds us that we have a choice in how we approach Jesus, in what we think of Jesus, and how we respond to him coming into our lives. I want to end with the question that really comes up in the passage for us. The question in the passage is this, who is this guy? Who is this man coming in riding on a donkey? The question is, what do you think of Jesus? And if we're prepared to follow Jesus, what do you expect of Jesus? What do you expect of him in your life? How do you expect him to operate? Because the reality is, when Jesus came in and died on the cross, he indicated to his followers that they were going to experience more suffering, not less. Are we prepared for that? And the question is also, as we journey forward and follow Jesus, are we prepared to follow him to the cross? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your kingdom, this eternal kingdom which you are um, inviting us into. And yet we recognize that we so often misunderstand it. We so often revert to our own strength, our own power, what we can control. We so often revert to the values of the world and the kingdom around us. And so, Father, today, on this Palm Sunday, we pray that you'd help us to be more like your son. Help us to understand that we need to take up the cross and not the sword. Help us to understand, Father, that we need to come in peace and with forgiveness and not in resentment and bitterness as we walk in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.